0: I'm going to read our text for this morning in three parts at different points in the sermon. The bulletin says that we'll be reading Zechariah chapters 7 and 8, but I'm actually just going to be reading selected verses from those chapters. So before I read, let me give you a map of the big picture of these two chapters, and then we'll be reading parts of it throughout the sermon. This text starts with some people going to the leaders of God's people, to the leaders of the people of the Lord Almighty, and asking them a question. And then the Lord Almighty responds to that question 12 times in chapters 7 and 8. 12 responses to one question. The first two responses are challenges to God's people, and the last 10, you could probably best call them promises given to God's people. Since there's lots of repetition there, we'll just be reading a selection of how God responds to the people's questions. So we'll start by reading Zechariah 1 to 3 now. Zechariah 1 to 3. This is God's word for us, his people. In the fourth year of King Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on the fourth day of the ninth month, the month of Kislev. The people of Bethel had sent Sherezer and Regimelech together with their men to entreat the Lord By asking the priests of the house of the Lord Almighty and the prophets, should I mourn and fast in the fifth month as I have done for so many years? Band of Brothers is a mini series that follows a particular unit of paratroopers over the course of World War II. It starts with Easy Company. That's the name of the unit. Easy Company of the 101st Airborne Division in their training in the U.S. And then it follows them as they cross the Atlantic to England and then as they go to France and they begin fighting and as they fight battle after battle in France, Belgium, the Netherlands, Germany. It follows these guys as they lose friends, as they suffer, as they sleep in ditches and foxholes. They win battles. They lose battles. The suffering the uncertainty, the war goes on and on. And as the series draws to a close, Germany surrenders, and the men of Easy Company start looking toward the future just a little bit. Some of them start planning to travel back home to the United States and pick up their lives again. Some of them start training and preparing to move to the Pacific and to continue World War II the battle against the Japanese. And one day, a number of the guys are out playing baseball, They finally have some leisure time, there's nothing they have to do right then, so they go out with a bunch of their buddies, and they just play baseball. And as they're playing, their commanding officer walks up and calls them all to gather around, and then he reads a short note that says the Japanese have surrendered. The last enemy has surrendered. The war is over, says their commanding officer. And then there's this quiet pause. And you can see all the guys thinking, is this really true? Can it be true? Is it really over? Is it really over? And then they think, what are we going to do next? What's this going to look like? And as that life-changing news sinks in, they start to yell and celebrate, it is over! All the suffering, the uncertainty, the sacrifice, it is over. Finally. When these people come from Bethel to Jerusalem at the beginning of Zechariah chapter 7, and they ask that question, what they're basically asking is Is it over? Is it really over? They weren't talking about a war exactly but they were talking about something a lot like that. They were talking about the exile. Decades before, God's people had been defeated by the Babylonians and carried off into exile. There had been a terrible war. Jerusalem had been besieged and defeated and then destroyed. Most of the people had been carried off into far-off lands. It felt like the nation had been killed. And Jerusalem, the city, had been destroyed in the fifth month of the year. So ever since then, the people had been setting aside time in that month to fast and to mourn. And this had gone on for 70 years. World War II actually got done 70 years ago this year. So ever since then, for that length of time, the people had been setting time aside in the fifth month to fast and to mourn. weep and to grieve. And now at the time that chapter 7 begins, work on the temple in Jerusalem had been going on for a couple years. It maybe was about halfway done, there would have been reason for hope again. Finally, Jerusalem had been in ruins for decades, but now you could go and you could see construction work going on, you could see walls and buildings going up. It felt like a new season of hope might finally be dawning. So this representation of the people go to the leaders and they ask for guidance. Basically, they're asking, is it over? Is the time of suffering and desolation finished? Is the exile over? And you can guess what kind of answer they were hoping for. They were hoping to hear the Lord Almighty say, yes! Yes! It's over. It's time to stop fasting in the fifth month and start feasting. So now let's read the first answer that the Lord gives to his people. We'll read Zechariah from verse chapter 7 from verse 4 to verse 7. Then the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. Ask all the people of the land and the priests, when you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh months, for the past seventy years, was it really for me that you fasted? And when you were eating and drinking, were you not just feasting for yourselves? Are these not the words the Lord proclaimed throughout the earth through the earlier prophets when Jerusalem and its surrounding towns were at rest and prosperous, and then again and the western foothills were settled? You can imagine how the people felt when they heard God's first answer to their question. When they thought they were going to hear that everything was okay and that the time of desolation was over, instead they get this stinging rebuke. When the Lord answers their question, his response is a real downer. Well, maybe the exile isn't really over yet. The people came and they asked God if they could stop doing a certain religious ritual and God comes back by saying, everything about you is wrong. They ask if they need to fast in the fifth month and God says, you are getting it wrong every single month. They've asked about a fast in the fifth month and that was a time when they mourned the destruction of Jerusalem. But if you notice in God's answer, he refers to a fast in the fifth month and the seventh month. The fast in the fifth month was about the destruction of Jerusalem. But if they practiced a fast in the seventh month also, it would have been a fast mourning the assassination of Gedadiah. Now Gedadiah is probably not a name that rings a bell for most of us. It's a name that really isn't all that popular. But Gedadiah was an appointed leader of God's people. And he had worked hard to bring religious and social reform to God's people. He had worked to bring God's law, as it was expressed in Deuteronomy, into the actual day-to-day lives of God's people. He was a good guy. He wanted to do the right thing, and he had been assassinated for it. One of the supporters of one of his rivals had killed him because they weren't all that interested in God's law or any of this religious and social reform junk. So if the people had fasted on the seventh month, it would have been a fast to remember and to mourn their failure to follow God's law and to really practice true religion and true righteousness. And the fact that the people didn't even ask about that fast, that might mean they weren't really keeping it. For years and years, they had been fasting in the fifth month because their city and their nation had been scattered. They were sad to be powerless. But maybe, maybe they didn't really care that they weren't really doing true religion. Maybe they didn't really care so much that they weren't practicing true righteousness. God's rebuke was probably deserved. These people wanted to celebrate the end of exile and get on with the feasting. But they weren't really all that interested in following God with their whole hearts and their whole lives. And so God reminds the people of what they were supposed to be doing. Along with their fasting, they were supposed to practice justice and mercy and compassion. They were supposed to keep away from oppression and from thinking evil of each other. The people hadn't done that before the exile, and that was part of why they'd gone into exile in the first place. And yet the people hadn't changed, and they still weren't changing You can read between the lines of the request in verse 3 and see that these people were experiencing those fasts as a burden. Their hearts hadn't changed. They were going through the motions. They were doing the rituals, but it was all empty. They didn't really have a heart for God. And on the side, they were still taking advantage of and neglecting the poor and oppressed. The Lord doesn't want empty ritual. He wants true worship and true service. He wants the people's hearts to be right and out of their hearts to come service to him and service to those around them. In Zechariah 7, God is telling his people that rituals are not enough. What he wants is true religion and true righteousness. So how do we hear that today? How do we Hear that today. I know what my first response is, and I know what a lot of your first response probably is too. You know how it is. You can sense how it works when people can tell that a coach or a teacher or a preacher is about to go off on something. You know what people do when they know something uncomfortable is coming up. Some people take cover or take off, some people just roll their eyes and think about something else for a while. Some people flare up that the person at the front of the room would dare to challenge them. And some people just think, yeah, he's a preacher. He's got to say stuff like that. Whatever. I'll go home later and forget all about this. Let's none of us have that response today. Let's not do that. This is God's word. And it still speaks to us, God's people, with a living voice today. So let's not duck out on this. Let's not run away. Let's not tune out. And let's not fight back. Let's take a good look at our hearts and our lives. We should all feel a little bit uncomfortable right now. At least if we're really hearing what God has to say here in Zechariah chapter 7. But it's better for us to squirm a little bit today and ask ourselves some tough questions than to go on and live a life of empty routine and pointless ritual. So let's ask ourselves, let's really ask ourselves, how are we doing with what God calls us to do? Is our worship just empty routine? Do we just do what we do here to keep God happy? Do we really practice justice and mercy in our lives? Does concern for our neighbors really have any impact on the decisions we make week to week? God doesn't want empty rituals. God doesn't want us to get bogged down in selfish living. The Lord wants his people to have right hearts. And out of that comes true worship And true service, in true life. So we need to check our hearts and our lives and ask, what's really going on here? Now we could stop there and end with this question of where our hearts are. But I think if we stop here, we get stuck. If we stop at this list of things that we aren't doing right and the things that we've never done right then our faith becomes just another burden to bear or just another obligation to ignore. So let's keep going. Let's see what else the Lord has to say to his people. There are several more responses that God God gives, and we'll go to Zechariah chapter 8 now, and we'll read several more of those things. And as we read, we'll read Zechariah 8, 14 to 23, As we read, I want you to listen to one particular thing in this section. For one particular thing. For the basic rhythm of this chapter. And that basic rhythm is, this is what the Lord Almighty says. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Let's hear what the Lord Almighty has to say to us this morning. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Just as I had determined to bring disaster upon you, and show no pity when your fathers angered me, says the Lord Almighty. So now I have determined to do good again to Jerusalem and Judah. Do not be afraid. These are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to each other and render true and sound judgment in your courts. Do not plot evil against your neighbor and do not love to swear falsely. I hate all this, declares the Lord. Again, the word of the Lord Almighty came to me. This is what the Lord Almighty says. The fast of the fourth, fifth, seventh, and tenth months will become joyful and glad occasions and happy festivals for Judah. Therefore, love truth and peace. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Many peoples and the inhabitants of many cities will yet come, and the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, Let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. I myself am going. And many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty and to entreat him. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In those days, ten men from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you, because we have heard that God is with you. This is what... The Lord Almighty says. Ten times over the course of chapter eight, the Lord speaks in this chapter. And he says it in all kinds of different ways, but this is the basic message to his people. I will save you. I will bless you. And you will be a blessing and you will rejoice. I will save you, says the Lord. I will bless you, and you will be a blessing, and you will rejoice. God's people come to him in chapter 7, wondering what they're going to do next. Wondering if the exile is over. And the Lord begins by pointing out all the things that they've done wrong. He points out the things that still aren't right. He reminds these people that their rituals and their righteousness are not measuring up. He reminds them of where their actions have led before. The images in chapter 7 are all about desolation and exile. Well-deserved desolation and exile. But then in chapter 8, we get to peace and prosperity. Chapter 8 moves us from desolation to feasting. Because the Lord loves his people, even though they're disobedient, he will work things out. There will be goodness and holiness and truthfulness and wholeness again in Jerusalem. In chapter 8, the Lord affirms that He still loves His people and He will still dwell with them. He'll return and dwell with them. His city will be a place of holiness and truth. The old will enjoy their old age, the young will play without concern. People will come back from the east and the west. Everyone will dwell in safety. The earth will be blessed. Disaster will pass away from God's people. Feasts will abound. People from other nations will come into the Lord. The world will know that the Lord, the God of the Israelites, is the true God of everything. Everything will be made well. Where there used to be times of fasting, now and forever, there will be times of feasting says the Lord God. Verse 19 talks about the feasts of the 4th, the 5th, the 7th, and the 10th months. And those were all times having to do with the fall of Jerusalem, the destruction of God's people, and the exile. And God says those fasts, those things that you should have been remembering, the times you should have been mourning, even those times, even those times will become times of feasting and joy. And so God's people would have been rightfully encouraged. Think of the best Thanksgiving you've ever had. And that and more is what God's promising in this text. As I read this text, I had an image come to mind from after a number of our church services over the summer. You may know that a number of our older gentlemen like to sit in the pew in the narthex after the church and talk. And one of them, who I won't name by name except to say it's Jim Van Campen, Sorry, Jim. Jim walks with a cane sometimes. And sometimes when he's sitting back there, he lets one of the kids grab his cane and run around. And the kids think that is the greatest thing ever. They'll run off with that cane like they've just won a great big battle and they're carrying off a prize. And they'll pretend to walk with it. They'll swing it around. Sometimes they'll even have a go of banging the cane on one of the pillars in the narthex or on a bad day, one of the people in the narthex. And it's fun for everybody. The kids get away with something they're never quite sure they're allowed to do. The old people get to sit and watch and everyone in between gets to laugh and enjoy the fun. It's a good time of being together. And that's what God promises to accomplish in chapter eight. A time of goodness, a time of gathering, a time when his people can be at peace and joyful. That's what God promises. But as we read this text and as we think about our lives, we need to ask, when are these promises fulfilled? When is the exile truly ended? Is it over yet? And in a small way, the exile was over at Zachariah's time. When these people came and asked as the temple was going up, as Jerusalem was being rebuilt, the immediate answer was probably yes, yes. The exile was over, but it wasn't really over. The city would go up, the temple would be there for several centuries, but their prosperity never really lived up to these promises. There were times of safety and lots of times of danger. There were times of prosperity and lots of times of uncertainty. The people did not really come streaming into God's people to learn more about the Lord. And ultimately, that rebuilt Jerusalem and that temple were again wiped out. God's promises were partially fulfilled for the people in Zechariah's time, but not really. And some people read these chapters and they think it's a promise about some future state of the city of Jerusalem and the nation of Israel. And so they get all excited about the political situation in the Middle East, and they try to build whole future histories based on the skeleton of this passage. But when the early church read this passage, and when they read the whole Old Testament, they pretty clearly saw that this was talking about the church. These prophecies of God blessing his people, and his people being a blessing to the world, find their true and ultimate fulfillment in Jesus Christ and in his gathered people. When Jesus came, he told his followers and his enemies that the time for fasting was over. The promised bridegroom had come. All things were being made right. It was time for feasting. Zechariah chapter 8 is most of all about the coming of Jesus. In Jesus, God saves his people. In Jesus, God brings truth and holiness. In Jesus, God saves his people in Jesus, God gives us the greatest feast the world has ever seen. In Jesus, the nations and the peoples come, flowing in to be among the people of the Lord God Almighty. This text never quite found fulfillment in the physical city of Jerusalem. But from the beginning, the church has seen this text coming true in Jesus and in his people. In the church The chosen, gathered, preserved, protected people of God. When Christ came, the exile was over. And so for us today who live after Jesus has come, we have cause to celebrate because the exile in so many ways is over. And yet we know at the same time the exile continues. Christ has not yet come for the second time. We don't see everything fulfilled. We still have times of fasting and of worry, still times of fear and uncertainty. We live in an in-between time. In some ways, the exile is over, and in some ways, it's not. We can rejoice in the coming of Christ, but we're still pilgrims and wanderers in this world. So how do we hear... That today. We talked earlier about how to hear challenge and correction. Now, how do we hear this good news of promise fulfilled and also of promises yet to be fulfilled? Let's start again with our hearts. How do our hearts, how does your heart respond to God's good news? Are you excited about the gospel of Jesus Christ? Is your heart relieved when you hear that God is at work? Or does it sound irrelevant? Do you hear all this that the Lord Almighty has to say to us today with a stifled yawn and a polite nod? Am I playing a broken record up here? And it's a tune that you've heard too many times before? If that's you this morning, I invite you to something more if you don't really believe in all this God stuff, if you never believed or you sort of wandered away over time, I invite you to reconsider. If your religion just means going through the routines and the rituals, I invite you to something deeper. I invite you today to hear what the Lord Almighty has to say. I invite you to hear the word of God himself, and that word is good. And it says that the Lord saves us. The Lord Almighty promises that he will do well by his people. The Lord says that he will do marvelous things for us, for you. The Lord promises that he will take our stony hearts and transform them. God will bring us to life for now and for eternity. If your heart is cold and dry today, I invite you to pray and to ask God to change it. Ask God to work in you and in your life to fulfill these promises that we read about in Zechariah chapter eight. Zechariah eight is about us gathered here today and it can be about you. The Lord Almighty, has promised, that he moves his people, that he can move you from suffering to celebration, from fasting to feasting. And regardless of your spiritual condition, I invite you to take two other steps of faith. If your heart is cold, taking these steps will warm you up a bit. If you're already on track with God, doing these things will help you keep on serving him. It's true that our actions come out of our hearts, but it's also true that our actions shape our hearts. Empty routines are pretty pointless, but routines that we intentionally develop can shape our hearts and shape who we become. What we do affects who we become. If you practice faith, faith will grow. So let me invite you first of all today to do good. Do good. Practice true righteousness. Our world is terribly, terribly messed up. Things are broken. Around the world and in our own city, things are terribly, terribly wrong. Abuse and injustice and oppression run rampant in our world. I'm not a politician, I'm not a social worker, I'm not a judge. I don't know what all the right answers are to fix our society and our world. I can't give you a great plan for political and social action, but what I can do is tell you that as God's people, we have to, we have to pursue justice, and we have to practice mercy and compassion. We must do good in this world. And it's not that we have to do good as some kind of burdensome obligation, some sort of thing you must do or God will be angry. We have to do good because God is bringing about good in our lives and because God will ultimately make all things right and because right now he uses us to make this world better. So do good. You can even look in our bulletin today to find some simple, attainable ways to do this. Buy a present or two for needy children this Christmas. Volunteer to help feed the homeless next weekend and give them a safe, warm place to stay for the night. Help prepare some holiday meals for the needy people in our area. Go to Honduras in a couple months. Advocate for what's right. Practice justice and mercy and compassion. And finally this morning, worship the Lord with gladness. Celebrate. Give thanks. Be grateful and be glad. One of the dangers of a sermon like this and a text like this is that we all walk out of here feeling all beaten up and broken down. It's easy for us to get focused on all the things that we can do all the things that we aren't doing, all the things that we haven't done, all the ways we can't measure up. We need to go there sometimes to learn the truth, to grow in our faith. But that's not where we live. That's not what God calls us to. God calls His people to joyful and glad occasions and to happy festivals. The Lord Almighty loves us. The Lord Almighty saves us. Every good thing in our lives comes from God. So enjoy them. Be grateful. Celebrate. Rejoice. God invites us to his eternal celebration. Let's accept the invitation all of our lives even especially the times that we gather here in worship are occasions for celebration lay your burdens down celebrate and give thanks to God because he is good and his love endures forever because he has promised to make all things right because he has drawn you here today and because he has invited you to be part of his feast that goes on Ever and ever. The Lord Almighty says. The Lord Almighty says. I will save my people from the east and the west. I will bring them back and they will be my people. And I will be their faithful and righteous God. Well, let us always seek the God who saves us. The God who loves us the God who is gracious and compassionate to us. And let us always rejoice that that Lord Almighty found us when we were lost.